We're in week two of Give Peace a Chance, and last week we, we talked about godly passion and how we need to have godly passion for other people. Godly passion needs to just pour out of our lives, right? So today I want to talk to you about confused passion, right? The definition for passion might be like the second slide, Brother Ronnie. No, not that one. Keep going. Do what? That one. There you go. Passion, an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. Would you agree that it's quite possible to be intensely enthusiastic or great desire for something and be wrong about it? It's possible, isn't it? It is very possible to have that desire to be enthusiastic about it and be dead wrong. It's like I talk to people and they say, well, you know, my intentions, my intentions, let me just say, I've heard this said for years and years and years, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? So it is possible for us to be desiring something, to be enthusiastic about it, but be confused about what we're doing. And maybe even the confusion, and we're pushing forward and we're just wrong about it. I, I was talking to my wife last week, and she's been talking with her sisters and everything, and we have different theological beliefs, not me and my wife, but me, my wife, and her sisters. So I said, honey, they, they just think differently than we do. Yeah, but, but I think they're wrong. And, you know, it's quite possible that they are wrong, but it's more possible that they're confused, right? The, the thing, guys, I want you to wrap your brain around real quick is just because you think something's right doesn't mean that it's completely wrong. You just might be confused about how it happened. You understand that? The confusion happens. So how do we make sure that our passion is directed to the right purpose, to the right person, and not be confused about it, not be distraught, not be on the fence, not be thinking that, hey, I got something that I don't have. Like many people, unfortunately, believe the sinner's prayer is what saves them. And I'll stand here on the platform today and tell you the sinner's prayer didn't do that. The sinner's prayer is just a bunch of words. The sinner's prayer had nothing to do with salvation. I prayed the sinner's prayer three different times before I got saved. You see, sinner's prayer is a, is a path, but if you're confused about what it is, then you won't get to salvation like you should. So, guys, that's, that's what I want us to stop and back up, and I want us to think about it for a minute. I want us to make sure that we know that we know that we know Jesus Christ, because that's who, we're, that's who we're to be passionate about. Did you bring me a coffee? You didn't bring me a coffee. Man, walks in late, didn't even bring me coffee. Um, so, this, I've got some scripture in here I want to talk to you about, but the next slide, Brother Ronnie, I want us to have this question. I should have put it first, I'm sorry. Um, there are three different positions concerning faith, right? Three different positions. You see three different chairs. Three different positions concerning faith in all of humanity, every one of you, me included, we're sitting in one of these chairs. We're sitting in one of these chairs. So in order for us to make sure that we have our passion right and we're not confused about it, we need to make sure we've got our faith right and we're not confused about it. So we're going to back up today and we're going to talk about faith. 
and make sure that we know where we're sitting. Now, listen, some of you guys may get offended right out the gate. Some of it, others may not, but don't worry about it. I'll get them in a minute. Listen, and I want you to honestly look at your heart and figure out which chair you sit in. Now, I, I know some of you guys are thinking, well, this has got to be the chair for Jesus, right? Because it's comfortable. Like, if I sit here too long, I'll be like, and I'll wake up, and you guys will all be gone. Uh, Joshua gives us, gives us some verses. Judges chapter 2, now you can back up to the verses, Ronnie. Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 13. Previously, when Joshua had sent the people away, the Israelites had gone to take possession of of the land, each to his own inheritance. This is after the spies. They've crossed the Jordan River. They've already whipped Jericho. Okay, so they've taken their inheritance. The people worship the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua. So, hey, as long as his staff was still alive, they were worshiping God. Or were they? We'll find out. They had seen all the Lord's great works he had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Norm, you got a shot. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance, in the, yes, that word, in the hill country of Ephraim and north of Mount Gaesh. The whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up, who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshiped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshiped Baal and the Asherahs. Father God, we thank you for this day. And God, we pray right now, Father, that you would take out of this scripture, and God, that you will show us where our faith is supposed to be. And God, as, as I say that, I know other people are thinking, I know where my faith is. But God, I pray that you'll pierce through our hearts today, Father, that you'll reveal to us exactly where we stand and make sure that we're standing on solid ground. Again, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Where is our church sitting in regards to faith? Where, I mean, where are we? Where are you? You know, it's easy to look around, and it's easy to say the church and be able to point to people in this local church. It's easy to say the church and point to people in the big church, right? It's a whole lot harder to stand in front of the mirror and say, where am I? Because at that point, the, bo the boots meet the ground, and we have to figure it out for real. But let me just tell you that your salvation isn't dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon our church. It's not dependent upon the universal church. Your salvation is dependent upon one person, one person only, and that's you. See, Jesus Christ died for the world. There's some people out there that would have you to believe otherwise, but I just got to go with what the Bible says, and the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right, and everybody in it and everybody that would be in it, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for it. And that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life and they wouldn't perish. They wouldn't go to a place called hell. I have to believe that whoever believes is dependent upon us. God has done what he's supposed to do. He didn't have to do it, but he's already taken 
the first step. And he said, hey, I'll do this for you. Now it's up to you. What are you going to do? So where are you sitting in this thing called faith? Where are you sitting in this thing called life? You see, there's determining factors for all of us. Every one of us, there's a determining factor on whether we sit in the first chair, the second chair, or the third chair. Now, some of you are still wondering, what's the first chair? Is the first chair, the second chair, and the third chair, right? Because the third chair has got to be hell, right? Because it don't look comfortable. But hang on. Don't get too excited. Don't get ahead of yourself. We, we have to understand that until we can get these things straightened out in our own lives, that our church will only go as far as our lives go. You see, one person in church can be straightened out. The rest of you screwed up. We still ain't going. We've got to all be going the same way. Not every single person moving in the same direction, but you understand that if you're off just a portion, it's like building houses. If you're off an inch to start with, by the time you get down a 20-foot wall, do you know how far you're off? You're off more than an inch. I mean, you like way over here. It's like I'm not a pilot. I'm not a son of a pilot. I know enough about flying to get me in trouble. But I know when they say do this degree, and if you off a degree, you got a problem. Right? Because off one degree when you're flying could mean life or death. Let me tell you right now, off one degree when you're living could mean eternity or hell. See, we have to know where we sit. Joshua thought it so important before he died, he wanted to make sure the people of Israel knew where they were before he died because he was leading the pack. Hey, they're following me, and I want to make sure that when I die, I leave them in a good place. In Joshua 23, he calls all the leaders, all the elders together, and he says, hey, guys, we've got to make sure that we're doing this the right way. We've got to make sure that God is one in charge. Joshua 24 comes, and there's that famous verse, right? 24, 15, the verse says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, which, let's be honest about it, it's not on the screen. Let's, let's be honest about it. Sometimes serving the Lord is hard. Can I get an amen? I just want to make sure you're awake. Sometimes serving the Lord is hard. It has been a rough week again this week. And it's not my family. It's not been rough in my family this week. It's been rough in my God family this week. It's been a rough week. See, sometimes just because you're serving God does not exempt you from a rough week. Sometimes the devil's doing everything he can to kick your teeth in. He wants to kick your teeth in, stop you in the throat, and leave you laying on the ground. He can't kill you. He can't take you from eternity, right? But what he can do is he can stop you so far into the mud hole that there's nothing that you can do you think to share Jesus with anyone else. Because if I'm broken, busted up, jacked up, thrown up, how can I share Jesus to anybody? That's what he wants you to believe. He wants you to think it's so undesirable to serve God, why would you try? I mean, why would you even try? Look at your own life. You can't even control your own life. Why would you try to help somebody else? He wants you to believe that. Joshua says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day, right now, whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 
See, Joshua wanted to make sure before he died. Now, we're not talk, he's not talking to the entire nation. He's talking to his staff, if you will. He's talking to the elders of the church, if you will. Hey, whether you're going to do it or not, he, he must have seen something. He must have seen some tugging away. He must have seen some non-commitment. He must have seen some people who should have been there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they weren't. They were ducking in and out. They were hitting every second and third Sunday. They weren't showing up like they should have been. And he wanted to make sure that they nailed it down before he died. He wanted to make sure they knew, number one, where he was. There was going to be no question about what Joshua was doing, where Joshua stood when Joshua died. He wanted people to know that he was serving God. And if God wasn't working, he was out of luck. Where do you sit today? Where do you sit? See, there's three C's that we have to, to look at. There's commitment, compromise, and conflict. See, all three of these C's have to do with our faith. All three of these C's we have to make sure that we've got nailed down so that we can make sure that our passion is not confused, but it is directed in the place that it should be. We've got commitment. The chair of commitment. I'm sold out to Jesus. Now those look more comfortable. But you know what? The, the discomfort of this world is something I can willingly do in order to live in the pleasure of heaven whenever it comes. The discomfort that I have in this world pales in comparison to the discomfort that Jesus took upon himself as he stood on the cross for you and me. See, I can make sure that regardless of what comes to me, that I can stay committed to Jesus Christ. See, this is when the believer, he, he she, goes beyond accepting the free gift of salvation, but willingly comes under Christ's authority and his direction. It doesn't matter what it is, I'm committed to Jesus. If it rains, if it snows, if the tornado comes, if the hurricane catches us, if the earthquake opens, I'm standing by Jesus. It doesn't matter. I read an article this week about a pastor in the Middle East who, who had been kidnapped. And they weren't trying to ransom him. They made a video and they were going to release him. All he had to do was denounce Jesus Christ. That was it. Denounce Jesus, we'll release you back to your family. Don't denounce Jesus, we're going to kill you. And then we're going to get your family. See, we're sitting in the United States in comfortable chairs with heat and fans going. We think, well, I just denounced Jesus. But you're not in that situation. What would you do if you're in that situation? And you know that, hey, if I don't denounce him, they're going to kill me. Which, for me, just me, right, just me, I could probably decide, okay. But then they say, not only are we going to kill you, but we know where your family is. 
So after we kill you, we're going to go get your family. Real story, guys. We're going to go get your family. We're going to kill them too. Or you can denounce Jesus and we'll let you go. Where's your level of commitment? Where's your level of commitment? You see, the world's moving in such a direction that we may have to gut check our level of commitment a whole lot sooner than what we think. This pastor committed to Jesus Christ first and foremost. He said, this is my chair. I'll sit in it. They cut his head off. I don't know if they've gotten to his family or not. Uh, the, the article didn't go any further. See, most of us, we say we want to be committed, but do we really want to be committed? We want to be committed when life is going well. I, I trusted Jesus Christ. I'm going to heaven. This is chair of commitment, not chair of salvation. This is the chair of commitment. See, you'll have confused passion until you first decide that I'm going to sit in the commitment chair and I'm not moving. It doesn't matter what they do to me. It doesn't matter what they say to me. That chair of commitment is where I'm supposed to be. Jesus becomes your best friend. He becomes your everything in life. I have a best friend here on earth. Her name's Joy. I have a couple other best friends. But I don't have anyone that takes the place of Jesus. Where's your level of commitment this morning? Are you prepared no matter what? See, these people, they, they develop a, meaning, a meaningful and growing relationship with him for themselves and those around him. They want to impact other people. And they understand the only way they impact other people is that they develop a relationship with Jesus and let him work from the inside out. Unfortunately, many of us probably, we've started a relationship and then it gets difficult. Jobs get difficult. Relationships here on this earth get difficult. We get bad doctor's reports. Finances are hard. Our level of commitment stops. I got a pastor friend whose parents actually live on Longboat Key. He's up in North Florida, and he posted this thing yesterday about he had gotten a call from one of his church members that said, hey, oh, my daughter's got a softball game on Sunday, so I don't think I'm going to make it. And let me just say this. This pastor friend of mine is a great guy, and he's probably uh, one of the most relaxed preachers preaches the gospel, but one of the most relaxed preachers I've ever met. And, and he said, I told him that, hey, I'm, I understand, go ahead. And then he said, I thought about it a minute, and I called them back. And I said, what are your kids going to think about your level of commitment to Jesus Christ? I played sports all through high school. You know what, if there was a game on Sunday, they had to play without me. It wasn't because of my level of commitment, because I promise you, I wanted to go. Right? I wasn't trying to do the Jesus thing in high school. I, I, was, I wanted to be there. My parents weren't even Jesus followers, so to speak. They weren't committed Jesus followers at that point in time. But you know what? They never let me go on Sunday. They always said that was the Lord's day. Now, we weren't going to church. 
but that was the Lord's day. Where's your level of commitment? I know when things get bad, it's easy not to be committed. Right? When things in life get bad, it's easy not to be committed. But let me remind you that Jesus tells us it's going to get bad. Because if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute you. Paul tells us, hey, I've been through trials. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been locked up. And if I have, what do you think you're going to get? James tells us, count it all joy. Not once do they say you can back out of your commitment. Paul even writes in Romans 8, for we know all things, all things happen for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things happen for the good. So we have to trust our commitment, right? Here's the unfortunate thing, though. Many people who get caught in this chair. It's the chair of compromise. It's comfortable somewhat. Right? If I had to sit in the office all day long, I, I want to be able to sit in a chair that I can rock in. If you come into my office, I'm not necessarily sitting in this chair, but I have another chair at my desk that I can lean back in. And I rock in it. it it's comfortable. Right? There's lots of us guys that have moved from that chair that's not so comfortable to this chair because comfort. I want you to think about that just for a minute. How many of you have left that chair of commitment for this chair of compromise because it looks more comfortable? It is. I mean, if I put my feet up in that chair, it's kind of, you know, I, I can't put them up real high anyways. I'm not real tall, but you know, I'm, I'm there, but I can put them, away. I can put them up. This chair is somewhat comfortable, and the church people have moved from the chair of commitment to the chair of compromise because it's more comfortable for us. The, see, the chair represents someone who has received new life in Christ but hasn't decided how little or how much they will follow him. We call those people fans. It's someone who says, I know that I'm saved, I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. But I'm not so sure I want to give up everything. I'm not so sure that I want to give up those R-rated movies. I'm not so sure that I want to give up talking like a sailor. Was cussing bad? The Bible says not to let any profane thing come out of your mouth. So I, I don't know. You tell me if it's bad. I'm not so sure that I want to give up. The extra girlfriend I have on the side. What do you mean? Is that bad? Well, the Bible says one man, one woman for life. You tell me. See, the person who sits in the chair of compromise often runs short of the internal strength that causes us to stand on certain bedrock issues because there's no commitment in their life. There's no experience that backs that up for them. The Israelites were going to have this problem. See, the Israelites, while they were with Joshua, were between chair one and chair two. Back and forth, back and forth, because there were some people who had seen God do his mighty works. There had been some people who just heard about the mighty works. 
So you had chair one and chair two. People were not real sure, but they were prepared. And then comes chair three. See, here's the chair that, unfortunately, many of the people who do not know God, many of the people who are raised in a generation who know not the Lord, this is where they sit. Can you tell me why? I mean, it looks comfortable. It really is comfortable, too. I mean, the world doesn't want to live in discomfort. And this is okay for a while, but man, look at this. This is where they want to sit. And you see, when you're passionate about things, but you're in the wrong chair, it's very easy to be confused about what you should be passionate about. See, when you have no level of commitment, it's hard to be passionate about anything. These people here are often called what? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Pharisees. See, the chair of conflict, it's the final chair who have people who sit in it who don't personally, who've never personally responded to God. There are people who may be in this very room right now who grew up in church. You ever talk to anyone about salvation, about the gospel, and they say, well, I grew up in church. I grew up there. My mama took me to church all the time. I was in church nine months before I was ever born. Yet they've never personally responded to God. So they sit in a, a chair of conflict. They sit there and they, they know what a Christian is, but they've decided they don't want to really be that. Now, they don't make it verbal. They've just decided that they're not going to live that way. They may have experienced church and religion, but a gulf of sin and rebellion lies between them and their creator. They've never trusted Jesus Christ for their salvation. It's always been maybe I can work to it. I grew up in church. You know how many people are going to stand before Jesus at the last day? They're going to say, Jesus, I went to church. Think there's some confusion there? See, just because you go to church doesn't mean that you sit in the chair of commitment. You could very easily sit in the chair of conflict. You may sit in the chair of compromise. And you know what? As long as you're in one of these two chairs, your passion will always be confused. Because you won't know what you're supposed to be passionate about. Because you're not sold out to Jesus. You're still hanging on to the world. Paul calls that carnality. He says that you've, you've not learned to let go yet and just trust Jesus. How many of us, how many of us take things to Jesus? You know, we bring things to his feet, we lay them down, and then when we get back up, we snatch them. I know some of you guys who aren't raising your hand, you do. You're just holier than we are, so you're not saying it. Um, I mean, it, it's, it is what it is. See, we have to make sure that we're not this chair of conflict, that we're not pushing away from Jesus, that we don't want anything to do with Jesus based upon what this chair does. You know, most people who sit in this chair are in that chair because of this one. 
Most people who sit in chair three, who don't know Jesus, who are the chair of conflict, there's always something with them. It's because of this chair. It's because they know someone who sits in it. And these guys aren't committed. These guys want to love Jesus when it's convenient. And when it's not convenient, they don't. They want to love Jesus as long as that party on Friday night's not happening. But when that party's happening, Brother Rick, they don't want to be here anymore. They want to be able to go do what they want to do. They, the, these are called grace users. See, God's given us grace, all of us. These are people who use it to their advantage. These are people who want to do it no matter because it feels good. And they're the reason this chair never moves to that chair. They're the reason, because we were all born here. Every one of us. The Bible tells you in Romans 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can everyone hold their hand up? And then do this. Point your finger right back to you. You're all. Okay? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All is us. It's every one of us. We're all born here. Some of us are still here because of someone in this chair. Now, you don't get to get to heaven and say, you know what? I would have gotten out of chair three if Rick had moved out of chair two. It ain't banned, okay? You don't get to move up a chair because someone else moves, okay? You stuck in chair three because that's your own fault. You don't get to go to heaven and say, well, I would have gotten saved, but my dad was a jerk. God's going to say, I knew your dad was a jerk. That's why I gave him to you. See, he was the jerk that was going to help you, but you weren't, you weren't looking past him and looking to me. So you may have passion, and you may be passionately desiring something, but if you're confused, if you're sitting in the wrong chair, your passion is misdirected. Your passion is just confused. Joshua wanted to make sure that the people of Israel knew not just where he was, but knew where they were. Where am I sitting? What does this matter to me? You see, the Israelites, the elders were called together, and they're there, so the Bible says, and they served the Lord as long as the elders were still alive. But did they? See, in the book of Judges, it tells us that they would, the people would serve God, and then after they died, they would get worse. And then a new judge would rise up again, and they would serve God a little bit while they were serving Baal and all these idols. And then when that person died, they would get worse again. So the fact is they weren't serving God wholeheartedly. Guys, the church isn't serving God wholeheartedly. Maybe you're not serving God wholeheartedly. I don't know. I want you to stop for a minute. Brother Ron, you can just go right to the last slide. I want you to stop for a minute and ask yourself, where are you sitting? Where are you sitting this morning? Are you sitting in a chair of commitment that no matter what happens, I'm committed to Jesus Christ? And you know what? I'm so committed to Jesus that I want the world to know it. I want them to know that I'm sold out to Jesus. 
Does that mean that you're sinless? No, it doesn't. Okay? It means that you should sin less. But it means that when you do sin, that you're quick to repent. When you do sin and make a mistake, you're quick to go back and seek forgiveness towards whomever you sinned against. Isn't that an odd concept to think that maybe you sinned against somebody and that you should go back and ask them for forgiveness? I know it's odd. Believe it or not, that's kind of how the world used to work. If we operated like they did in 1910, 1920, man, can you imagine what the world would look like? Even with modern technology. See, are you in a chair of commitment? I want the world to know I'm committed to Jesus Christ. It's an election year, just in case you didn't know. And I don't know if you're a Republican or Democrat. I don't know if you're a libertarian or if you're just neutral and really don't care one way or the other. But I know none of that matters in eternity. Not a bit. The thing that people need to know about you is that you're a follower of Jesus. I took Baptist off the sign four years ago. Some of you who weren't sure when, when that happened. Uh, it's been gone for four years. And when I took it off the sign, people said, you're ashamed of being a Baptist? Listen, all you have to do is hear me preach one time and you'll know that I'm a Baptist. There's no question. I'm not ashamed of being a Baptist. But when people define me as a Baptist instead of a follower of Christ, I got a problem. See, my desire is to be defined as a follower of Christ. My commitment is to Jesus. My commitment is not to the Southern Baptist Convention. My commitment is not to the denomination Baptist. My commitment's to Jesus. Regardless, that's who I'm committed to. See, there's some of you that may be sitting in this chair thinking, well, that's the chair of compromise. Yes, it is. See, I want to be a Christian as long as it benefits me. But when it doesn't benefit me, I want to sit here. I want to sit on the fence. I want to have one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. Do you know what? If you've got one foot in hell, you've got your whole body going to hell. Well, I want to serve Jesus 97% of the time. Well, that means you're serving the devil the other 3%, which means you're 100% lost. You see, there, there's no sitting on the fence when it comes to Christianity. God's not looking for part-time Christians. He's looking for full-time followers. He's asking you not to sit in the chair of compromise, not to sit here and say, well, you know, I want to raise my kids in a godly way, but I'm going to let them go and do this stuff. My kids get so upset at us because, and I'm not like patting me on the back. I'm just being transparent. My kids are upset at us. Number one, their haircuts. And, you know, I can, I can feel that one. I understand that one. Number two, Brother Willie, they're upset because we don't let them play Fortnite. Period. I'm not saying that you do. I'm just saying I'm, we don't let them play Fortnite. They don't understand why. They're upset that they don't have phones. They don't understand why. See, phones aren't bad. Technology's not bad. Games aren't bad. It's just certain games lead down a road that I don't want them going on. And you know what? I love them enough that I can be the bad guy. I'm not trying to be their friend. 
God didn't give them to me to be their friend. He gave them to me to be their dad. And you see, it's very easy, guys, for parents to get caught in the chair of compromise because we want our kids to love us. So we're willing to bend and not break, but we're willing to bend off the chair of commitment so that our kids will love us. Do you understand the moment you bend from there to here, your kids have got you. You're no longer the parent. Now you become a friend. And it just goes from there. You see, are you sitting in the chair of compromise this morning? Have you decided that, well, some of that stuff, I, I, know, I know he said tithing and it's in the Bible, Malachi 3.10. I understand that, but you, God will understand. He'll understand. He understands that you're disobedient. He understands that you're robbing him of blessing you. He understands that you're a compromiser. He understands that your passion is confused because if you think this is okay, that's what he understands. See, God put it in black and white for us. Maybe, hopefully not, but possibly. You're in this chair this morning. And you're in this chair because, well, I've come to church. I've become calloused. I've, I've watched people in chair two live as hypocrites. And why do I want to move to chair one and be committed when I can do the same thing these people are doing in chair two? And the conflict rages inside of you. And you pretend that you're something that you're really not just long enough for people to leave you alone. You may still come to church. You may still put a little money in the offering plate. Every time I think of the offering plate, I think of that movie Flywheel that Sherwood Baptist put that movie out, and they were sitting in church, and it's the dad and the mom, and he was a used car salesman. And the plate was coming, and as the plate was coming to him, he took his envelope out of his, his jacket pocket, and he looked at the wife was here, and he looked over here and opened it up to make sure there was nothing in it. He closed it, and as the plate came by, he dropped that envelope in there. Which chair do you think he sat in? See, the appearance is what he wanted. He wanted people to be able to pat him on the back, but there was no level of commitment whatsoever. He wasn't even compromising. He was just still in conflict. The carnality of his life was still winning out. See, if you just think about it this way, you have seven days in a week, right? 168 hours. How many of those hours are you serving the Lord? How many of those hours are you serving the Lord? Am I compromising? Am I fully committed? Or do I just want people to think that I serve Jesus, but I'm going to do my own thing? There's no level of commitment here. Guys, I want you to honestly think about that because there's someone in here today that sits in that third chair. I'll guarantee it. There's many of us in the church world today who may still sit in chair number two. Guys, if we want our church to be a God-honoring church, 
a church that gives life, a church that Jesus Christ would be proud of. We need to have a church of people who sit in chair number one while we are constantly inviting people who are in chair number three. And we're non-judgmental to people who are in chair number two. And when our passion is focused on Jesus, we won't be confused about it. Because chair number two, well, those are just people who need help. We want to love them, right? Chair number three is the reason that we're still here. Because it's by the foolishness of preaching that people hear the gospel. So that they're why we're still here. These are people we get to share Jesus with, the love that he has, non-judging them, right, to get them to chair number one. Our desire needs to be get everyone to chair number one, but never have a church filled with just chair number one. Because if we're filled with number ones, we're not reaching number threes, and there are number, no number twos, and we've lost the meaning of a church. We're no longer a hospital for hurt people, but we've become a country. So where are you sitting?